All right. You know, uh, when I was in college, I went to West Africa for a couple months with some missionaries there. And we got to um, spend uh, a couple months, you know, going, traveling to different churches. We got to help in their school program they had for um, school-age kids. We got to preach. We got to sing a lot um, and uh, do a lot of cool things. And one of the things we did for one week was um, we went to, uh, from Kumasi, which was this nice, green, lush, vibrant city. Well, I mean, when I say vibrant, it's still Africa. Um, but, uh, and and uh, we went to the northern part of the country, Bolga Tonga. All right, spent a week there with an evangelist uh, who was there. He, he was a, Ga- a Ghanaian. And, um, and so we went there, and this place was different. It was hot, like really hot. It was dry. A lot of the fruit, a lot of the trees that we were kind of growing used to in, in Africa, they, they didn't grow in, in this part of the country. And it was very different. You know, we, we were very used to spending our time with the missionaries, and his wife was a banging cook. And so we were still eating really good over in Africa. And this guy was a bachelor, okay? So it's hot, it's dry, uh, there's not a whole lot going on, we're all sleeping on the floor, and uh, this guy, uh, so our, every morning our custom was this, he said, hmm, what, what should we have for breakfast? Ah, eggs, we will have eggs. And so he would cook his eggs, and, and well, I got like really, really, really sick one day, like puking my guts up, and, um, and just for days, and they thought I had malaria, I don't know, no doctors, so um, best we could tell, maybe food poisoning, uh, from, hmm, we should have eggs, and um, so several things I still won't eat so many years uh, later, and um, I couldn't stop the puking, I couldn't have, hold anything down, I was having these hallucinations and dreams, I was so dehydrated, dreams about Fanta orange soda, I got up in the middle of my sleep one night, and someone who wasn't even there told me there's Fanta in the refrigerator. And I woke, I woke up when I was digging through the refrigerator, disappointed to find there was no Fanta. So, and, so, and then to make matters worse, okay, I, I traveled with uh, three of my really good friends. They're all pastors now. And um, those guys, they were just so loving, supporting uh, during this time. They, they videotaped every time I puked. And they video, took pictures of me and laughed at me, pointed at And guys, I'll just be honest. Uh, at that moment, I hated them. <laughs> like, no, but <laughs> for a couple of days, I felt like I was in hell. You know? I felt like I was in hell. But, you know, a lot of you can relate. You all have your own stories. Of maybe it's stuff that's physically gone awry. And you're like, yeah, uh, this diagnosis or this pain or this issue, um, I feel like I am in hell. Or maybe you resonate with things that are um, emotional pain or struggles or relational or mental uh, struggles, and and sometimes this can cause more pain than the physical, and and so maybe you feel like you've been there, you've done that, you've been to hell. And so today, we're going to talk about a very challenging and a very uncomfortable subject of hell. Now, uh, real quick, I'll go ahead and acknowledge this, that I know some some Christians, excuse me, some churches are a little bit too excited about hell, you know? And they start to sling this diagnosis like, and you're going to hell, you're going to hell. They're like Oprah, you know, handing out a book, and they're just very happy about it, you know? They're slinging it, and, and uh, it's like they get some kind of perverted joy out of condemning people uh, to hell. And, and, you know, you may have, maybe you're here today and you've been hurt, you've been turned off by that kind of thinking or preaching or yelling or signs or whatever, uh, whatever it is, but... 
The truth is, is we need to come to a real understanding, a biblical understanding of what hell is, okay? Uh, so in regards to a survey, uh, so our culture, our culture is very confused, um, as the survey shows us by George Barna. He says, in regards to heaven and hell, um, Americans' willingness to embrace beliefs that are logically contradictory and their preference for blending different faith views together create unorthodox religious viewpoints. So to summarize that, we like to pick what we like out of the Bible and then make whatever else up we want to kind of fit in with that. You tracking with me? And, and you, might, you might be guilty of that too. It, it's okay. I, I get it. So I've read somewhere that 70% of people believe in hell, okay, loosely. 70% of people believe in hell, but only... Half a percent believe that they may be going there. Now, if I were Satan, okay, who is a deceiver, whose mission is to uh, uh, rebel against God and lead a rebellion, try to draw as many people uh, of God's children away from God as possible, if I were Satan, one of my strategic attacks would be to convince people that hell is not real. That hell's not a real place, or, or I would try to convince them at the very least, don't take it very seriously, okay? Don't take it very seriously. Because if I can convince you that hell is not real or it's not that bad, then, then two things would happen. You know, one, unbelievers around the world would reject Christ easily with no fear of God whatsoever. And if I can convince you that hell is not real or convince you not to take it seriously, then you would be incredibly unmotivated to uh, share this Jesus news with the world around us. But the problem is this, is we get our, our, um, our cues <clears throat> from the scriptures. The Bible is where we base our, our, our uh, knowledge and foundation for truth and for, be, for belief and for faith and for life. And, and the Bible speaks a lot about heaven, which we like. We talked about that last week. You know, you guys are pumped up. Heaven, it's going to be incredible, you know? And we're, we're, we're quick to grab onto those things. But then we talk, the Bible actually talks uh, uh, more about hell. And we're not as excited to grab onto that. One writer notes that um, in the Bible, 1,870 verses uh, are recorded, attributed to Jesus speaking. And of those, 13% of those are about judgment and hell. That's, that's a big percentage of what Jesus is saying it, uh, concerned judgment and hell. And so if you're here this morning and you're not quite on board with all this Bible stuff, with all this Jesus stuff, like that, that's okay, man. We're, we're, we're glad you're here, and, and um, I think we have good reasons to believe why uh, the Bible is God's word, and I think if you'll go down that road with an open mind and with an honest and, uh, pursuit, I think you'll see those reasons are compelling too. But maybe you're here today and you do trust the Bible, but... A lot of you, a piece of you, a part of you still struggles with the idea of hell. And so, I get it. First of all, you're not alone. And, 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 but what happens is this, is, is, is we struggle with it, and we don't deal with that struggle, so we just start to add whatever it is we want to our belief system. And it's kind of like this cafeteria style of our faith, and we just start to pick and choose what we want. I don't like the peas, so I'm going to grab two pieces of cake, you know, and we start to grab what, what we want, and, uh, and we'll leave out the things that aren't palatable to us, 
and we'll take out the things that are good. Give me two pieces of cake. And uh, so, so I'll take a serving of heaven, but no hell for me. I'm going to skip that, okay? I'm going to skip that. I'll pass on the judgment. So today, as we're continuing our series <clears throat> that we kicked off on Easter Sunday called Beyond, we're spending a few weeks looking at the idea that there's more to this life than just this life. There's more to life than just this life. There's more than just skin and bones. There's more than just a few years on this earth. And there's more than a tombstone in your future. Last week, we, we, we uh, talked about heaven and uh, we, how God is going to make everything new. But today, we're going to gain some clarity about hell. Uh, why? Because we've been saying this every week. What you believe about the beyond will determine how you live today. What you believe about the beyond will determine how you live today. So first of all, all right, hell, hell is difficult. It's horrible. It's weird. It's, for many, it's, it's outdated. It's bigoted. It's narrow. It's not fair. How could God, who is loving, do, you know what I'm saying? And, and these are thoughts that, that uh, are run through our mind or thoughts that get thrown at us um, from every which angle. So first of all, why does hell exist? Like, why would God, the supreme being, a loving God, allow a place or create a place like hell in the first place? You know, when we ask that, first of all, it shows kind of a flaw in our understanding of, of the Scripture. It shows that we don't understand the holiness of God, and we don't understand the horror of sin. You know, I like to start with me, you know, and, and we like to start with us first, you know, what's in it for me, what, what, how does this affect me, how does this impact me, um, and, and that's kind of how we typically live and think, you know, whether you're... Um, extreme on that scale or not. But see that sometimes we approach the Bible with the same lens as like me, me first, what, what's in it for me. But if we start with God, if we start and we come first say, who is God? Then we'll get to see uh, the, the picture of, of how, how uh, righteous and how holy, how set apart God is. And so the first reason why hell exists is hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. Yeah. You know, this is, this is why hell was created. This is why God created hell. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for you. It wasn't for anyone else. It wasn't, it wasn't for Adolf Hitler. It, it was to, to deal righteously with this angelic rebellion in heaven. You know, the stereotype, the, Satan has um, horns, and he's got this pitchfork, right? And this is my earliest memory of, of Satan, is I remember from a little cartoon that uh, we used to watch, and, and uh, uh, someone's in hell, and the devil's poking him in the butt with a pitchfork, and <laughs> laughing, a sinister laugh, you know? And, and like, it, it, I grew up thinking that hell was Satan's domain, like he was in charge there. He was, he was the man. That's, that's his place, you know? Kind of like uh, in Greek mythology, uh, Hades, you know? Um, but the, the and that's kind of uh, how a lot of us view hell. Well, hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. So, so Satan is the one uh, who is going to be sent and cast into hell. And so uh, he's not the ruler. 
Uh, it's not where he resides uh, and hangs out. You know, uh, it's not just a place where he goes and listens to country music with the rest of the people in hell and, and all the other Redskins fans and cat lovers, you know. Uh, <laughs> did I insult like two-thirds of you guys? So, <laughs> food. It's getting hot in here. But you know, uh, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is, uh, he's talking about separating the sheep from the goat. And, and these are metaphors for, for people who are, um, they're God's people, or they're people who have rejected God. The sheep, you know, the sheep are going to go to heaven, and the, the goat, they're going to go to hell. In Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus says, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So the whole idea, the whole existence of hell in the first place was, was, was not meant for people. It was meant for the devil and his angels. But then we see the second reason for hell. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with those who reject him. Again, in our mind, in many people's minds, this is, this is only the Hitler types. That's about... Uh, only people we feel comfortable with sending to hell, right? It's just the worst of the worst of the worst. And uh, uh, unless, you're, uh, unless you're one of my friend's neighbors, he, he sent a screenshot to me the other day. And it's like, man, this guy's really angry. And it was on Facebook. He screenshot on Facebook. And he, the, someone, like, um, stole his bank card and, and bought something for $200. And so he ran it on Facebook. It's like, man, I hope whoever got, got burns in hell. I'm like, whoa, whoa, like $200 hell. Like, goodness gracious, that escalated quickly. And like, um, so, but, but typically our, in our minds, in our, we, we reserve that for the worst of the worst of the worst. And what we think what we tend to be left with is that most people, and if not most people, us most definitely are good. We're good people. But see, that's the storyline of the scriptures is that, that we're actually not that good. We're actually not as good as we think. Well, here's, now, now, don't get me wrong. We're pretty good compared to other people, right? Well, I'm good when I compare myself to, you know, those guys but when I compare myself to God, who is holy and set a standard pretty high for us, when I compare myself to him, I fall short every time. And so do you. And so do you. When we compare ourselves to a holy God, it's to the standard he set, man, we miss it. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says, uh, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. That's the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. So I get it. This is difficult stuff. This is, I mean, so, so we're, we're to love with grace and uh, we, we love this grace and we love this mercy, this new life stuff. But this stuff, man, this is serious. This is difficult. So hell exists uh, for, uh, to deal, for God to deal righteously with those that oppose him, for God to deal righteously for Satan and his angels. So what is hell like? A lot of people will have a lot of ideas about hell. Um, a lot of people who study the Bible will come out in some different places. There have been, been some popular books over the last few years that come out about hell. Um, uh, but the Bible gives us a number of images of hell. You know, they, the, the, the phrase or the saying, a picture is worth 
a, th a thousand words. A picture is worth a thousand words. And I think the Bible gives us a few snapshots, uh, pictures of hell, and is kind of painting this picture uh, real quick. So what I want to do is I want to pull out some of these pictures, some of these images, so we can see what hell's like and see really what does this mean for us. Um, in Mark 9, <clears throat> uh, verse 47, 48, Jesus says this. He said, if your eye <laughs> causes you to stumble, pluck it out. All right, first of all, don't actually go home and do that, okay? Because I guarantee you every one of us will be blind. We'll be gouged and groping around trying to find out where we're going. But Jesus is using some hyperbole here, some pretty, some pretty uh, far-fetching uh, speech here to say the links that we should go to to live holy lives that God has called us to. Eradicate what's causing you to sin. Pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God, he says, with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. So Jesus is, he tells us a little bit about hell in this, in this verse. And so the first picture, the image that we get of hell is of, the, of a dump, a garbage dump. Anybody ever go to the dump to go drop off, you know, all the junk at your house? You go to the dump, it stinks, it's nasty. And there's seagulls and there's stuff you're stepping in, it's kind of this goo nature. You don't really know what that is, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so there's the stuff. Now, one of the common words used for hell, which Jesus uses right here in the Greek, is Gehenna. So you probably have heard of Gehenna. But uh, this word refers to the Valley of Hinnom. And it was this place on the south side of Jerusalem. And in the Old Testament, the pre-Jesus time, this was a, a time that some pretty sketchy things went down in. Like, the, like it had been used for child sacrifices, like Kill, like killing kids, okay? Like that's, that's bad. And, and, and for idol worship, like that's bad. Like so for the, the Jews uh, abhorred these practices. This place, uh, the scriptures says this place is cursed. Like this place is, is, is cursed. And um, so Hinnom became a garbage dump. It was fitting for a place that was defiled, right? It became the city, the, outside the city, it became the garbage dumps where the junk went, where there's stuff kind of went. Uh, they, they would throw the bodies of animals, the corpses of criminals who, who weren't even fit to have proper burial. Man, they just throw it, in, throw it in Gehenna. Throw it in Gehenna. This pile of rubbish. And then uh, they would, this, this pile of rubbish, uh, Gehenna, was uh, set on fire and it was constantly burning and constantly smoldering uh, to kind of uh, get rid of all the waste. It was constantly burning. And so when Jesus said that uh, uh, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into Gehenna, <clears throat> man, they saw something. They smelled something. They, they remembered uh, the atrocities that had happened in the past and, the, and the, the wretch of a place that that was. And that's the word that Jesus used often to refer to hell's Gehenna. And so that's, that's uh, when Jesus said hell's Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, smoldering, desecrated, rotting, defiled, and burning. And, uh, and, and so the first picture we have of, of hell is a is a, it's a dump. 
It's a garbage dump. And the second, second picture, image, snapshot we have is this, worms, worms. Um, also, maybe translated maggots, whichever, pick, pick your poison, you know what I'm saying? Don't really want either gnawing at, at my flesh, you know? Um, but but uh, Jesus says, where, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. And so, and so he's quoting the Old Testament here. And the image of hell as a place where worms or maggots, they are eternally gnawing away one's flesh. And here Jesus is echoing a curse uh, from uh, uh, Isaiah 66. From those who do not occupy heaven are going to experience this curse. And so there's this image of, 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 of this worms or something gnawing at your flesh. And there's another picture, one of fire. Now, this is what you think of when you think of hell, right? This is what a lot of people think of their first image, whether you believe it or not. This is the image that we think of when we think of hell. It's probably the most popular uh, cultural picture in our minds. Hellfire, brimstone, lake of fire. And Jesus is where the worm uh, that eat them do, do not die and the fire is not quenched. And we also see in the Bible the image of God's wrath being like a raging fire. Terrifying. Terrifying. Elsewhere, Jesus calls it the fires of hell. And so while this is a very popular cultural idea of hell, the Bible uses it as an image of what hell is like. There's another, uh, another picture we have of hell. Uh, uh, it's, it's a place of darkness. It's a place of darkness. Hell is also uh, this place that where, where darkness reigns. Darkness is supreme. Matthew 8, 12, Jesus says, But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know where, you know where the darkness is? A darkness is a place where there is no light. Darkness is a place where there is no light. This is the opposite picture of heaven. You know, we were, if you were here last week, we talked about heaven, and one of the qualities of heaven is light. There's, there's no more night. And in fact, there's no more sun. It says God himself on the throne will be the source of light, and God will be with his people, and God's glory is going to light this place up. And in darkness, we see the very opposite picture of heaven. There is darkness. There's isolation. There's loneliness, there's chaos, there's fear, there's pain, all right? Now, what do all these pictures have in common, all these pictures about heaven? You know, uh, I'm sorry, about hell, what do all these pictures have, uh, have in common? Well, there's, there's one pretty clear word, that's suffering, suffering. Like suffering, is, it's not good. And, and Jesus is painting this picture by the words and, and illustrations. He uses. It's not good. It's not good at all. And, it, uh, and some people view, view all these images as literal things that will happen. There, there will be fire. There will be worms. There will be darkness. There will be all these <clears throat> things. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, I think these are images, okay? 
I think that the Bible is, uh, we have to interpret the Bible how it was intended to be interpreted, not how we want to interpret it, how it was intended to be interpreted. And I think what happened is, is Jesus is using terminology. He's using a phrase here to paint a picture of suffering and of isolation in, in a world that exists without God. Now, if you think these are literal, that's, that's fine. Um, one author says, hell is defined by the good things that are lacking. Light, hope, love, purpose, beauty, joy. Uh, here's this quote by uh, theologian Wayne Grudem. He says, if there is one basic characteristic of hell, it is, in contrast to heaven, the absence of God or banishment from his presence. It is an experience of intense anguish, whether it involves physical suffering or mental distress or both. So the picture of heaven that we saw last week, <clears throat> heaven is where everything wrong is made right. Heaven is a world where our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls, our relationships are all made whole. They're all aligned back with God's original intention of wholeness and peace and unity and, 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 and connection with God. And the greatest part of heaven we talked about last week is, is God's presence. That God will be with his people and, and his people will be with God. Can I tell you what the worst part of hell will be? The worst part of hell will be the absence of God's presence. That's something a lot of people don't naturally think. We think of fire or whatever. But the worst part of hell is going to be the absence of God's presence presence. And that's the last picture we have of, of, of hell. And by the way, I think this one actually is literal. It's separation from God. 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9. I read, I read it earlier, but I'm going to read the rest of it now. It says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. You know, Jesus says, depart from me. Jesus says, depart from me. Shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the majesty of his power. So God, God allows us to get our way. God will allow us to get our way. If we don't want him now, he allows us our way, that way in eternity. And I think of all the gruesome images of hell and their culmination uh, in, the, in uh, the lack of the presence of God. It's like last week when we talked about a world without the effects of Genesis 3, you know, when sin entered the story, and, and when uh, there was separation between God and man, and uh, uh, where the, God created this world as he intended it, there was beauty, peace, there was perfect relationships, there was joy, there was fulfillment, there was the presence of God. Well, hell is painted as the antithesis of all those things. So even though today we experience the effects of sin in this world, can you imagine a world where the presence of God was completely devoid? You thought you knew pain. You thought you knew fear. You thought you knew shame, rejection, and isolation. You thought you knew suffering. It ends up my food poisoning was pretty good, you know? 
It wasn't close to hell at all. And it ends up that whatever your worst day, your worst season in this world today, man, that's just a, that's just a small little glimpse of, of what life without God is like, without God's presence. And that's hell. There'll be suffering. Suffering, words like eternal suffering, eternal separation from God. <clears throat> it is 11.06. Is that right? Um, 11.06. What if you had special knowledge? What if you had special knowledge uh, from some revelatory source, some divine source that at 11.10, this building is going to collapse? Everyone in this building is going to die. You know? Like, I mean, you knew. There was no doubt. And you're not just like the crazy guy who, you know, hears things all the time. But no, like this is like, you, you know, without a shadow of doubt, it's going to happen. What would you do? Got to get out. Got to get out. And chances are you're going to start yelling and a couple people are going to be like, dude, sit down. Like, can y'all escort him out? And then you would get, you would amp up a little more. No, you got to get out. Everybody out now, out now, out now. And, you know, we, people will be picking up the phone, like 911. And, you know, um, and, and you got to come get this guy. He's, he's, he's going nuts. But, no, you would act like a raving lunatic, right? You would act like a raving lunatic. Uh, trying to get people out of here. Get out, get out. No matter the cost, no matter uh, what you had to do. If you had a gun, man, you'd pull that thing and pop a few in the ceiling. You know, get out. I said, get out, you know. You would do whatever you had to do, and you would be okay with looking like a raving lunatic for a moment because you knew at 11.10, you would be vindicated. You knew at 11.10, that people's lives will be saved because of what you did. Church, we have a mission to point this world to Jesus. Because we have it on Jesus' word that life without him is pretty bad. Eternity without him is even worse. And that's why, that's why we're here as a church. That's why we exist, because we want to uh, introduce this world, our city, and our friends, our family. We want to introduce everybody to Jesus. That's why Steve's going to prison. Uh, just so you know, people aren't signing up just to go hang out in prison for four days. That's not normal. But he, he goes, and it's one of the highlights of his year. I know that because I've seen it. I've got to go and visit him. I, got, I get to talk to him. Every time he comes by, I go meet him. So how was prison? Dude, it was so awesome. <laughs> People don't talk like that because we know there's going to be a time where the building is going to collapse. It's all going to go down. It's all going to go down, and we do whatever we need to do to warn this world, man, there's a God that loves you. There's a God that made a way for you. His name is Jesus. Maybe that's you today. You know, and you're, you've been hanging around Christ Fellowship for a while, and you've yet to say, you know what, I want to trust in my eternity with Jesus. I'm going to make him my Lord, and I'm going to make him my Savior. If that's you today, man, I would love to talk with you before you leave today, look at the scripture. In fact, we get the privilege of seeing uh, Miss Jane today uh, get baptized into Christ. Um, so that's, that's certainly something uh, we're looking forward to today. You know, in the scripture, when people said yes to Jesus... They were baptized in him. 
and they followed him. They followed him. Maybe today, even, uh, you know, you're on board with this Jesus stuff, but this hell stuff makes you a little sick to your stomach, and I just want to say that's okay. That's okay. It should. It should, you know, it should make you <laughs> sick to your stomach. You know, don't, don't stuff it down. Don't ignore it. Don't, uh, but, but deal with that, what that means, because the truth is hell should make us sick. Hell isn't something we are pumped about. It's not a place we love to send people to. It was never part of God's plan. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. So what happened is this. Okay, so you had the early Christians, and they're talking about, hey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He, he rose from the uh, dead. He ascended into heaven. He promised us he's coming back. So the Christians were saying, hey, Jesus is coming back. Well, one day passes, two days passes, weeks, months, years pass, and eventually the haters are going to hate, right? They said, well, where's this Jesus guy? Thought he was coming back. And so Peter, he says, no, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Like he's not, he's not uh, forgetting, you know what I'm saying? It says, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. And so that's what he wants, church, is he wants us to turn to him. And that's what repentance is, is turning towards God with our heart, mind, soul, strength, everything with our life. We turn uh, to him. And the way that we turn to God is through the cross of Jesus. God paid the price. He paved the way to heaven with his own perfect life so that we don't have to experience separation. We don't have to experience a life or eternity without God. Praise Jesus for that, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 18, Paul says, For this is the message of the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those of us that are being saved, it is the power of God. Like, look, people who don't get it don't get it. People who don't understand the cross, man, we, we look a little bit ridiculous talking about this instrument of death all the time. That's why we got to love this world. That's why we have to show grace. That's why we have to show mercy. That's why we have to point them to God's great love for us.